Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor. And by me, film and television editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, and we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here. On today's episode, we'll be talking about addiction and substance abuse with producer and mental health nurse Jenny Ng. We'll discuss warning signs, triggers, stigmas, the value of having the right support systems in place, and where you can go for help. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice. It is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. Just a warning, we'll be discussing alcohol and substance use. And now, Jenny. Jenny, welcome to Brains. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to, to talk to you about kind of your bo- both your worlds. You have a film hat, but you also have a, a mental health nurse hat that you wear. So I think it's a really cool mix. I do. Thank you so much for having me. I want to ask you, uh, just tell us a little bit more about who you are and like how you got interested in, and started focusing on addiction in your work. Well, I'll start by saying that um, I'm a dog mom. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Me too. I have three. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, I have a horse dog type thing. But um, I'm also uh, a nurse uh, uh, as well. I'm a producer. Yeah, I'm also a martial artist and uh, like to see myself as a bit of an innovator um, in the coming years. I'm actually not from Canada. I uh, was born in Hong Kong, came to Canada when I was 10 and uh, moved to Winnipeg, actually, and that's where I had uh, been living as my uh, hometown for quite some time until I moved to BC. So that was in uh, the fall of 2019. Oh, wow. Right before the mm-hmm. pandemic. <laughs> exactly. We moved yeah. right in the middle of the pandemic. So yeah, I was um, feeling like I needed a change in my life. And, you know, approaching 50, I thought if I don't do it now, <laughs> it's going to be much harder <laughs> later on. So yeah, so we packed up and, and moved. So here we are. <laughs> As far as my nursing career, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, I graduated in 1996. So it's been um, 26 years now, actually, for, for nursing for me. You know, I was drawn to it, I think, because of some of the, you know, my personal experiences um, in my own life, wanting to help people. Uh, mental health just kind of was, yeah, something that I really was interested in through my nursing years in terms of uh, just even starting with my nursing school. I did a, my practicum was in crisis intervention, actually. So I uh, started off at a, a crisis unit. It was a nurse managed crisis unit, actually, which you don't find a lot. So I did some crisis, you know, mental health, and then I did some um, home care coordinating, so case management. I feel like you can only do crisis for so long, and then you need a bit of a break. Um, yeah, I did my um, some case management with uh, with home care. You know, um, certainly there was a wide range, but mostly with um, people who were uh, more elderly. And took a little break from nursing because I got a little bit burnt out and did some film for a little while. And uh, I produced, but I actually started out as an actor. I was actually going to move to Toronto to pursue my uh, acting career. Pending if we were going to do this film, this feature film. So we got the feature film. So I... Uh, did not move. So we produced this film, uh, this feature film. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so kind of jumped in. Um, now I've, you know, I've done the feature film. It finally finished in 2018 and finally now delivering actually out to the world to see. And then I've produced, you know, a number of shorts. Um, I've directed one short as well. 
um, yeah, and I've done some a little bit of work in terms of the virtual reality world as well. How did you take the experience you had in nursing and take that into your work? Has it come into your work in any way in terms of like talking about mental health or, you know, the experiences that you've had? My goal is to try and amalgamate my two worlds together, right? To try and amalgamate, um, you know, my, my health background and also, you know, with, with television film. But, and and I have done that to a certain degree because, you know, a couple of the films um, that I've done, especially the the short that I directed was about uh, addiction. Even the feature, you know, has some, he uses alcohol, you know, as a way to manage and to cope. You'll have to watch the film, but (laughs) we'll give it away. (laughs) But it has definitely elements of, you know, uh, mental health and, and using substance as a way to cope. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then, you know, hopefully in the near future, I'll be able to perhaps, you know, be more innovative and use virtual reality as a form of therapy Ooh. and a form of education. Yeah. So that's like, you know, my, my future goals. I'm curious to know, like, I feel like I've heard many different, uh, I guess, definitions of what addiction is, but what is, according to you and your, your training and also your experience of working with people who deal with addiction, what is your definition of addiction? Yeah, my definition would be, you know, people who are having issues, starting with just their everyday daily life, Um, you know, how addictions, um, or how substance use can affect their everyday life, you know, things like, um, you know, being able to get to work on time, you know, or, or, or attendance is an issue. Or if they have to, you know, use substances, you know, while they're working, they're trying to hide it at the same time. And, you know, it, it starts to affect their finances and it starts to affect their relationships. It, you know, causes so many issues um, within their life. And it's no longer, you know, something that they can leave, but it's there with them. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a bad friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <won't> leave you. <laughs> cripples a lot of people and they try and cope, you know, with trying to use at the same time, but it ultimately just does not work for them. You mm-hmm. know, everything sort of falls apart. Um, they become physically dependent, you know, as well as mentally dependent. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of social issues, right? Sarah and I both worked at a liquor store yeah. in Edmonton. And so I'd work day shift and you'd see, I'd have people come in and get little tiny, like, travel airline bottle size and they get like some of those and then they come back at night after work and pick up something more. And so you would start to recognize your regulars and it's a hard place to be in. Cause like, there's not a lot you can do and they're not being disruptive or anything, but you know that they probably need help in some capacity. I remember there was one man that used to always come in and he was so nice and so kind. And I always chatted with him and he's a lovely man. And then he stopped coming and I got really nervous and sad. Like I felt, yeah, I felt sad that he wasn't around. And then I saw him at a subway, like not too long after I like stopped working at the liquor store and I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) good. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting when you see people, you know, over and over and then you stop seeing them, you start to get worried. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something isn't quite right. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, alcohol is, is out there, you know, um, marijuana is out there, right? So um, really, like, and in BC, I mean, we have safer supply, meaning that, 
you know, people can have prescribed um, illicit drugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's controlled, mm-hmm. but it's out there, right? And it just, uh, it's very accessible, right? Obviously, alcohol, marijuana nowadays. That doesn't mean that, you know, everyone, you know, misuses it, but mm-hmm. it is readily out there. You know, the triggers are huge for a lot of things. Yeah. Totally. Seeing how much alcohol is around and like everywhere and part of just everyday go for a drink with colleagues, go do this. And like, it's just so much in our culture. It can be challenging to be like, I'm, I'm not going to participate in that. One of my uncles is a recovering alcoholic and he goes to bed really early because mm. his trigger was evenings. So he gets up really early and he goes to bed really early because he's like, then it's not as a temp- big a temptation. But I want to re- kind of step back a bit <laughs> and ask you, you said triggers. What are some of those triggers that you see? Because it's not just alcohol use, it's different drug use, or, you know, I think now we're definitely in North America, for sure, in an opioid crisis of people who start using drugs to help themselves with injury, and then it goes on from there. But I'd be curious to know, some what are some of those triggers that, that you would see? Right. So, you know, with my work uh, in substance use, um, we see a lot of people who have a lot of stress <laughs> in life. You know, they don't have a good outlet in terms of how to manage that stress. Um, you know, a lot of times it, it's, it's learned behavior also. Um, you know, your environment is huge. You know, how you grew up, your role models, all of those things are, are you know, how you sort of cope with stress, right? Um, so stress is a huge factor for a lot of people. You know, uh, maybe it's financial stress. Maybe it's any kind of stress. I mean, you know, what stresses you may not be you know, different for me. So, and then just having, you know, um, like you say, access, so much access to everything, you know, the liquor store, you can get things delivered to your door, you know, so easily, so easily, you know, and through the pandemic, I I really feel like, you know, loneliness was a big factor as well. People not perhaps, um, you know, they're not socializing the same way as before. You know, the socializing piece is, is a huge thing to, to be able to, you know, uh, get together with your friends and, you know, in person. And if you're not on, you know, uh, if you don't have any kind of devices and technology, well, I mean, that even further isolates you, right? You know, people that just don't have a good sort of sense of how do I express my stress and my frustration with things, you know, it, it's difficult. Communication is difficult for a lot of people. I always feel like if you have anxiety, it gets spilled up inside you, right? And if you don't have a way of express it either physically, which is actually a really good thing to try and have, a, you know, physical way of expressing it then it gets sort of stuck in you, you know, so then now you start to like, hey, I need something to relieve my stress. And you know, what's going to make me feel good. And then in the realm of, you know, feeling depressed, you know, it's a very slippery slope, okay, this makes me feel good. But then you get this sort of drop, right, then it doesn't make you feel good anymore. You know, but then you you want that, you know, you want your dopamine feel good hormone to, to come back. So then now you're back. It's a very vicious cycle for a lot of people, right? Hard to get out of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At what stage in someone's journey do they find you? We get a lot of people who are actually just self-referrals. Our clinic is is very open that way. You know, people can phone, they can self-refer. Often they've heard of it from a friend of theirs. Um, 
or they have contacted, um, you know, um, the addictions line. Uh, each province has, you know, some kind of addiction and crisis helpline. And then we get referrals from all sorts of places, you know, hospital, we get lots of people going to the hospital with addiction issues, especially with withdrawal issues. Mm. The, um, you know, illicit supply chain out there is full of benzodiazepines, which is a really hard um, uh, medication to, uh, to come off of. There's a huge withdrawal factor, which needs medical intervention, right? Um, so, you know, we get, there's a lot of people that go to emergency, you know, with, hard as well um you know and then just other referring agencies as well i worked in the treatment center in um uh, in manitoba in winnipeg and it was a a male treatment center i was always actually really glad to see someone come back because i feel like they've learned something or got something you know that that created a, a good response for them and even though they had relapse they came back you know mm-hmm. now they can a bit more from yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah because you know what uh, treatment is 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 a recovery road it's not you can't learn it you can't you know absorb everything you know yeah. within 28 days and feel like okay now you know i'm gonna go out and live my <laughs> life like yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna change up. everything uh woo. Yeah. yeah yeah it just doesn't happen well, we'll maybe talk about this more after but that's the stories we see and hear sometimes on film and television <laughs> is that oh i went to treatment everything's fine now yes how often do people relapse? Many do. And it's all very individualistic. You know, some people are good with, you know, a couple of times, depending on their supports. Support is a huge factor. And then, yeah, some people are continually, you know, struggling and, and come back. That's okay. Like, you know, I'm glad to see them when they come back and, and seek help, right? You take small wins when you can. We talked about environmental triggers, like stress, but there has been conversation or things that I've read about or heard about around the hereditary nature of addiction. Mm-hmm. How much does the, that play in? Absolutely. So that's um, that's a huge factor as well. Uh, if you come from a family, you know, with with substance use issues, um, it, it's a huge impact on your own life, right? Again, it's that sort of modeling, you know, behavior um, that you learn as a child. If there's a lot of stress in your life as as a child. And, you know, uh, that environment is very, you know, tumultuous. And the coping mechanism, you know, is to use some kind of substance. And yes, I mean, that has a huge impact. There are lots of studies that have certainly indicated that. So yeah, I mean, a lot of our clients come from histories of family um, substance use, definitely. And, then, and, you know, that's not to say that it's 100%, right? Some people have, don't have, right? But I would say the majority of, you know, our clients that we see come from some kind of family history of, of substance abuse. Mm-hmm. How does trauma come into play with addiction? Like, I feel like often people might choose to go towards a substance abuse to deal with or cope with the, the traumas they've had in life. Is that is that how it always is? I would say that it's not always, but it's actually... A, a good deal of folks that, you know, do have some trauma in their history. Lots of folks who have, you know, some abuse trauma history, some kind of PTSD. I mean, there's so such a range of issues, right? That is a contributing factor for sure. And then having said that, there are folks that, you know, don't come from a traumatic history and still, you know, you know, they've found that this is some way that, you know, they can manage stress. 
you know, a lot of it also with the opioid uh, crisis. I mean, we've all heard about, you know, opioids being prescribed as, you know, pain management. Um, that was a huge issue as well. We became physically dependent on it. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. Kind of thing. So now you see a lot of the pharmacies are very uh, stringent on, okay, checking to see if they're on, you know, other things and trying to make sure that people don't have too many things, you know, um, in their whole uh, med- medication regime. Yeah. I was prescribed once oxycotton. Oxycotton. I never say it right. Yeah. They had to have two prescriptions, like two different people had to sign it or whatever. And I was because I broke both my wrists and I had surgery. So it was like I was in a great deal of pain. But then my pain started to get better. And I was like, and then I understood it felt really good. In that situation, I was very scared. I'm very scared of <laughs> drugs. So for me, I was like, okay, I got to stop. But what what would you say or do you have any information for people like if they start to notice wait a minute i am becoming drawn to maybe substance abuse or use that's out of my control like how can we stop maybe before it gets really bad i think that uh, it's really important um to find someone that you feel safe to talk to first of all you know and uh it's a little bit of a litmus test right like okay you know i'm feeling like this you know Am I, is this really what's happening? You know, what do you, what do you see? You know, mm-hmm. find an objective person to talk mm-hmm. to um, that you feel safe. Of course, you know, going to your, um, if you have a good relationship with your um, care provider or healthcare provider, so be it, you know, a doctor, a um, nurse practitioner, a nurse that you know, a healthcare provider that can talk to you about, you know, what your options may be. Actually, the uh, Government of Canada website has their list of in every province, you know, kind of who you can call in terms of, you know, addictions as well as mental health help. So, yeah, I think that that's, I think, a good start to, you know, sort of unravel, okay, <laughs> you know, what's been happening here and kind of evaluate, you know, am I, am I seeing, because sometimes you, when you're in it, it's hard to see it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you start to kind of recognize it and you're like, hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Where you're like, oh no, it's not that bad. It's okay. And then yeah. You, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you stay in it for a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> I had my own journey with drinking, and I feel like you mentioning earlier the pandemic, how you could, you didn't have the social thing. So like, I typically would go drink wine with my girlfriends, and then it's like, well, we're all home, we're we're zooming. Like, let's all have wine, and then it became like drinking more wine. There's nothing else to do, and then I had to pause and evaluate, like this doesn't feel good. This is not healthy. I shouldn't be drinking this much alcohol. Um, but luckily I was able to just not do it anymore, but that's not always the case. Right. And so I don't know, is it conversations about what alcohol is doing to us or like why we choose to drink or why we choose to, you know, consume any sort of substance? Is that help people? I don't know. I'm just kind of (laughs) brainstorming out loud for myself too, but like, how do we have conversations about substance use? That's not like, oh, you are, you're now classified as an alcoholic or you're classified as a drug abuser or whatever. How does it affect us as humans? How can we do it in a healthy way? I don't know, that kind of thing. No, no, those are absolutely good thoughts because, you know, there's always some kind of stigma attached. You know, I feel like it's still out there in terms of, okay, you know, you're an addict, or you're, you know, you're labeled with a diagnosis. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's a slippery slope when it comes to, you know, the pandemic, dealing with stress. I think, you know, even for myself, I think checking in kind of with your friends, you know, is helpful. 
I check myself, <laughs> you know, as you did. And some people can't do that. So I think, you know, if you have a partner at home that, you know, sort of check with. Also, I think as a good healthcare provider, I think questions need to be asked there too. You know, how often, you know, are you consuming alcohol and or whatever, you know, substance, um, you know, and then there lie in all the assessment questions. And that will kind of, and that I think sometimes that makes people think of a little bit about, oh, I don't know. I mean, I worked with a, a doctor of natural medicine, and that was always part of my assessment in terms of, you know, how do you cope with stress, you know, um, and that will open up so many things, right? And if one of those things, you know, maybe alcohol or kind of substance, then we kind of, you know, slowly open that conversation up a little bit. I think some honest conversation about how is this affecting your everyday social, you know, interactions. And, and then do you really need to go when you go out and socialize? Do you need to have a drink? Or can you have something else? I mean, I don't think people really look at there's the Canada guy, okay, you know, drinking this many. <laughs> yeah, well, the number like I remember reading it and being like, Oh, that's I'm a heavy drinker. I like, Oh, <laughs> like, and I, you know, I, from what I heard and see in the media or whatever, I felt like, oh, yeah, a couple of glasses of wine here or there, like, during the week, that's fine. But then, it, like, you add up how many glasses you have in a week, and, like, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. But the amount that I thought was normal or average that I was drinking was way more than what is recommended, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there are also different patterns of use, right? Some people may not use the or drink or whatever during the entire week, and then on the weekend – you know, mm-hmm. it's a binge of, yeah, you know, yeah. drinking Friday, Saturdays, you know, into Sunday kind of thing, and then, and then stopping, right? So if you're binging, or for instance, like, um, if you're in an industry like film and television, um, advertising, which I was into, um, or live in a place like England, <laughs> where it's a culture of alcohol use, right? It's like you go to the pub, point, one point had drinks at lunch, like you would, it just alcohol was what you did all the time. You talked about support. So I was just thinking about this as you were talking about if this is the people that were the people you were with, or this is your work, or this is what you do, and you realize that you you maybe want to stop drinking or want to stop you know using other substances, but your community and the culture you live in isn't conducive to you not consuming. So how do you cre- find support when I can't, like, I have to go back to my job, but there's this pressure. Yeah. So like, how do you find create support? How do you create a system for yourself so that you can have a better chance of, let's say, not relapsing because of your environment? Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's where um, it's really important to find, you know, certain groups of people that I think will provide that kind of support. Mm -hmm. For a lot of our clients, they go to certain groups, you know, certain AA groups or certain um, uh, smart recovery groups, uh, NA groups. Uh, They go to to find, you know, people who are in the same, you know, boat with them Mm -hmm. and really spend time with those people instead of, you know, even though your job requires you to do this, I think they have to really set some hard limits with themselves. You know, this is where my job ends. You know, this is, you know, where I go to do my socializing now. Really, who you hang around with affects your life a great deal. Totally. Right? (laughs) So, you know, yeah, I mean, 
I had a client just recently and, you know, he relapsed. He realizes that his work friends, you know, they were going out drinking after, you know, off he went with them, even though he said, well, I'm just going to have one drink. It's a slippery slope. And that wasn't even actually his drug of choice, we call it, right? But it's a slippery slope down from there. So you really have to, you know, put some parameters around, okay, this is what's good, you know, and, and I'm not going to put myself in that triggering kind of environment, you know, so that I don't fall down that ladder again. And then having, you know, some good um, stress relief. I can't, can't stress that enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you have your martial arts background, I feel like that comes in handy. Like, I don't know, do you ever, do you ever be like, hey, you should come check out this, this class that I go to? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, my martial arts, I've been training as long as I've been nursing. Oh, cool. So yes, it is for me, it is very much, um, I mean, it's a lifestyle for me now. I, I, um, I've been training for so long. It's just second nature, but yes, no, it helps balances me. Um, I mean, I, I also, um, try and, you know, do lots of meditation and, you know, I, at work, I do a a wellness, uh, Wednesday or self-care Wednesday for, you know, the folks at, uh, at my office and we do, like a 20 minute meditation. Awesome. I bring my dog, you know, therapy oh, dog. <laughs> love it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we do that. You know, just things that help you balance your life. Mm-hmm. Work life balance is, is a huge thing. I always try, strive, you know, to, to have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We didn't touch on this, but what is kind of your day to day look like when you're working, you know, with patients with addiction? working with as a mental health nurse, like what is your day to day? Who are you working with and what are you doing? So um, I work in the community. I'm not a hospital nurse. I've actually never really been a a hospital lover who wants to. (laughs) I oddly had a a, a like for hospitals, which maybe I need to investigate what that's about. But anyway, that's not this episode. You know, (laughs) the nurses that that can do that and, and, you know, appreciate them so much. Um, but I've always been a, a community uh, nurse. So I, I work at a, a community office. Uh, it's a mental health and substance use office. So we have actually um, um, a number of uh, varying disciplines that work on the team. So, um, you know, we have docs, we have addiction docs, we have mental health docs, we have, you know, voc rehab, we have OTs that work there, nurses, um, social workers. So it's quite an eclectic kind of team put together. Uh, I love my job there right now, actually, but I do, I do, you know, four days a week and that's good. <laughs> well, it's <that's, that's> a, <laughs> a big job to do. So yeah. we don't want you to burn yeah. out. No, so no, no, that's good. Well, yeah. since yes, I don't want to burn out and I'm very, you know, trying careful about not burning out, you know, you have to, yeah, you have to have that. And my day would entail, um, you know, having clinics with my doctors um, seeing patients, um, we can, you know, I see them with either the addictions doc or sometimes I see them uh, on my own. We don't case manage, but we help a lot of people sort of look at, you know, holistically, you know, what's going on in their life. Typically, if you are, you know, not well in terms of, you know, substance use, you know, your physical health is affected. So you're probably not eating properly. Well, you're not exercising. You're not sleeping properly. Um, your relationships, you know, 
are probably not good. So there's so many issues, you know, your finances, you know, you have emotional dysregulation, you know, your moods are up and down, constantly feel like you're in a fight or or a flight mode kind of thing, you're on edge, right? Yeah, so I mean, we, we assess, you know, all of those things to see if there's some way we can help refer, you know, someone to either our team that can help out in terms of counseling, you know, we try and yeah, basically, let them kind of tell us what they need, though, as well, you know, try and um, let them sort of, I guess, assess their, themselves as well, uh, just having those conversations, right? Sometimes people may not be ready to do counseling, but they know it's there. You know, we always say we're, we're here. We're always here. If you decide that, you know, this is something that you want to try. Sounds like a great clinic. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I just want to come hang out at your <laughs> clinic. You said relationships. Obviously, like there could be difficulty with their relationships, but how does it then affect their family members and friends, you know, seeing someone that they love have substance use issues? It impacts them a great deal. Um, we often also, you know, work with families, with our clients, because they, you know, are a huge part of their support system, huge part of their recovery uh, road. Um, so they also need support. It is very hard for them to watch their loved ones, you know, go through all of the withdrawal, all of the, all the really hurtful things that you don't, it's, you know, it's like watching if, if it's your child, very, very tough. And, you know, for a spouse, equally as tough, because now you may have to carry, you know, some of the burden of, you know, a family, for example, and, you know, how do you sort of balance, you know, all of that stuff. So we work quite closely with families too. We always respect that our clients have, you know, privacy that we don't want to breach. But if they're in agreement with, you know, having family there, we will definitely work with families. If the families need uh, counseling, for example, we can refer the family, you know, for counseling. So it's, yeah, it affects them in, in so many ways. But it's also, I, you know, we feel it's important to involve family when, when people are, you know, wanting that. Because family oftentimes will, will reach out, you know, to us and say, I have, you know, you know, my son is this or my daughter, you know, and family will reach out first, you know, before clients will reach out. And, you know, it's, it's a delicate matter because they're not particularly the client per se. You do have to kind of sit back and, and you know, give as much information as possible we can't make anyone do anything, right? We need to come to that. Yeah, sometimes, and unfortunately, sometimes have you know people have to get to that you know kind of bottom, right? So it, it, it's very hard to you know, and as a as a nurse, it's very hard to see that too. Even though some of our clients are you know on some kind of opiate replacement therapy, sometimes they are still actively using, right? But but it's, it's about harm reduction for um, well for me, anyways. You know, abstinence is great. But a lot of times it's not realistic for a lot of people, right? So harm reduction is definitely um, something that we practice within um, our clinic. I think that's a really good thing to say out loud because I feel like often we always think, well, nope, you just can't have anything. But maybe that's not a reality for a lot of people. And to know that there's other options out there that can be helpful and like reduce the harm that they're experiencing and having. And yeah, because that's, again, that's not something that we talk about often or it's like talked about but they're like but I don't want that in my neighborhood and then it's just yeah it's looked upon so badly like oh that's like a failure but you're like no it's a success mm-hmm. it's a move forward yeah. 
small successes. Yeah, we need we all we need them small, in all parts like of our life. Small successes. Yeah. <laughs> small yeah. successes. Yes, yes. It's uh, it's a spectrum, right? It's it's not uh, it's not black and white. You know, mental health and addictions go hand in hand. First of all, and it's never a black and mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. thing, right? Lots of grays in between. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, working in that era, you have to be you know, malleable and, and flexible to, to see that. Right. Yeah. And there's conversations too about like with mental health or, or certain cognitive disabilities that people, if they're undiagnosed, there could be substance use because it's helping relieve something. So even like I, I have ADHD. There's a lot of conversation about how like, yeah, cocaine is great <laughs> for someone with ADHD because it's a stimulant. And, and so you're like, but that's, that's just you trying to figure out like, how do I get my brain to like level, but it's not usually the best choice. Um, getting diagnosed and having the right medication is much better choice. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and people are self-medicating all the time because they're trying to find a relief. You know, they're trying to find some kind of, you know, emotional regulation, as I said. And so, we, yeah, I mean, people are self-medicating and we have to kind of look at it in that way, not just, oh, you're, you know, drinking too much or you're, you know, like, why are they, you know, going to that substance? What is the, the crux of the issue here? The Band-Aid solutions on there, but, you know, it's just, it's not going to, uh, yeah, going to treat uh, properly. Well, let's bring it back to f- film and TV. I want to know. No. <laughs> I want to know. Creative stuff. Are there any movies or TV shows that you think capture addiction in an accurate way and and if not i think there probably is maybe what would you like to see more of in in our world of film film and tv people i feel like there are a lot out there i feel like you know movies and and television that you know touch upon addiction and and substance use a lot of really talented famous people that you, you know we kind of never even knew use substance right and i think the most recent film that it's not even really that recent but um it's called a beautiful boy that really i don't know if you guys have seen that but it talks about you know opiates um and just how the family struggled and how you know they had to as much as they wanted to help they actually just had to preserve themselves because you know, you can go so far into trying to help, but if the person's not ready, you know, they had to let that go. And that is so hard, you know, to do. That movie was, um, to me, it, it it just resonated really of all the families that I have to deal with, you know, sometimes watching their, their son or their daughter go through that. But you have to have limits for yourself, right? Your own mental health needs to be, you know, just as important as well. What can I think of like 28 days uh, with Sandra Bullock? That's another one, you know, a female dealing with alcoholism. There are a number of the AA, actually, um, how AA start, got started. There's a movie, uh, I think it was, it's a TV series, it's like a long time ago, like 1989. My name is Bill, I think it's called. Um, I actually haven't seen it myself, but I know it's out there and people have watched it and, you know, uh, and said it was good. Do you guys know uh, uh, Gabor Mate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he um, recently done a feature on, it's called um, The Wisdom the wisdom of Trauma, I think. Okay. 
Yeah, that was actually really interesting as well. Um, I think it's out right now. It's it won some, you know, a bunch of um, awards and festivals. And I think it's sort of traveling right now. Um, there was a, a period when you could watch it free and you can still watch it. I think they take donations. So any amount, really. I think more and more it's portraying um, addiction and substance use bit sort of less glamorous yeah, I suppose. Yeah. you know what I mean like like fear like fear and loathing in mm-hmm. Las Vegas is very glamorized yes yes and wild yeah yeah I feel like there are some definitely that are uh very true and then some that still are you know bringing glamour to you know some of the stuff that really shouldn't be that way what would you like to see that you haven't seen yet maybe us who knows or maybe you <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think because I, I want to do projects in virtual reality, that's where I would like to actually, um, you know, do something that's immersive for people to actually be able to sort of feel what that other person feel like, you know, when, when they're in that situation. I think that extra level of immersion and trying to, you know, build that empathy or trying to, you know, um, yeah, have that empathy feeling so that people can try and understand what folks with addictions and, and substance use, you know, go through or, or trauma or, you know, so have a better understanding of, you know, what kind of suffering they might go through. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like often in film and television, we see them out of control or like, you're like, whoa, how could they get that bad? And we're not actually understanding what they're actually feeling or, or, you know, what's going on inside of them. I don't know what you think of Nurse Jackie. If you've seen that at all, I have not um, seen that. But yeah, so because she starts like you see what how she's utilizing like she is having an affair with the pharmacist so that she can get extra opiates because it was from her she had a back injury as a bad back and so she is in immense pain, but is also using because I think it's become like an addiction as well. So it's her trying to juggle this life of her being this nurse and in the pilot episode giving it away you realize that she has a family at home. So it's like this man that you thought was just her boyfriend is actually this man she's having an affair with because he has access to the things that she needs. But it's more complicated than that because it's also a relationship. So it's just like an interesting thing of like what pressure does to you, like you said, stress, what pain can do and like how you try to hide it all. She would never ask for help. Yes. Really. Yes. Well, because nurses are supposed to be the helpers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, how do you ask for help, you know, when you're supposed to be the one that's helping people? The office that I work um, in is is South Van. So I'm not like downtown in the core. I also work downtown in the core in, um, you know, downtown East Side uh, every once in a while. And, you know, the addiction issues are very forefront there. It's right there, right? When you work sort of more in the rural, rural, but, you know, off sort of downtown area, people kind of, yeah, they hide, you know, like you say, I'm trying to manage my life. This is how I'm managing it. And they don't talk about it. That's talked about. And then it's, you know, socially acceptable sometimes, you know, depending on your work, social functions. So it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. People have to be more attuned to, you know, sort of what's going on around them. Because I think oftentimes we just sort of turn a blind blind eye to a lot of stuff that, you know, we shouldn't. You know, I walk down the street, if I see someone who is walking a certain way, I know that, right. You know, that there's issues, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because certain uh, opiates, I don't know what it is. Like, 
there's some there's something that I just recognize. <laughs> Maybe it's just I've been in the you know working in this field for a long time, but I just know you know. So you know, if I see them, I just will kind of check in. Are you doing okay? That sort of thing. I think instead of being fearful of oh my god, just asking someone, are you doing okay? You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. I think really sometimes just help. What are some resources that you'd recommend for our listeners to engage with? They want to know more about addiction or if they're maybe facing addiction themselves and they're starting to realize, actually, I may be using substances in a way that may not be helpful for me. What are some resources they could look at? So wherever you are, um, uh, there's always uh, some kind of crisis line to start with if you're in crisis, right? Um, And you really feel like you're not safe on your own, um, you know, you need to seek help right away. So Crisis lines are always there. Addictions lines, you know, in every province, it's there. Nowadays, there's so many podcasts out there too. <laughs> Books and buy them on Amazon. They just deliver them to you. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there's such a wealth of you know resources out there that people can, and and I feel like a lot of the help is is self help though too, right? Because there is so much out there, and I think that you know your relationship with your healthcare provider you know, is, is important too, because that may be somebody that you feel, you know, comfortable going to mm-hmm. and, and talking about it, right. And saying, you know, I feel like maybe this is an issue and maybe it isn't, but that outside perspective. Yeah. Um, or if you, you know, um, have a friend that you kind of trust and, and definitely, you know, people do oftentimes just end up going to a walk-in, you know, because they're having such, you know, such a hard time. And, you know, we, we try and um, um, do some education, you know, for um, our primary care folks out there, too. I feel like it's a topic that, yes, there's stigma, but also there's a huge, you know, I think, starts to try and educate a lot of, you know, folks mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, about all of that stuff. I mean, I mean, you see postings like at the liquor store kind of thing, too. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like, yeah. I think it's a... Um, it's a bit of a requirement, but it's, but it's good. Right. So, and I don't know whether, you know, any of the cannabis stores have any kind of, you know, postings like that, but I think it's equally responsible of those places to, to post, you know, where you can get help. As well. Yeah. You said podcasts. Are there any that you listen to? I, you may not listen to anything because you work in this <laughs> every day, but are there any that you like? Yeah, the one that I listen to um, is more for care providers. But having said that, um, I mentioned the uh, Smart Recovery Group before, and there is a a Smart Recovery Group app. So there are apps as well, lots of, you know, that's actually quite good. It lists like all the meetings, it has like daily motivations. I always promote it to my clients. Um, There's also apps where you, you don't use alone, you know, if it's opiates, yeah, where you don't use alone. if you're not with somebody, at least you have something accessible that, you know, you tell someone that you're using, you know, if you're not responding back by a certain amount of time, 911 might be called. There's sort of, you know, safety checks that, that you can have. With AA, I think there's a, a meeting uh, app as well where, you know, people can. And, and then, of course, with, you know, virtual meetings, people can do that. You know, if they don't feel like, well, I can meet with a whole bunch, a whole bunch of people right now, you know, to do that, they can start by know, doing it online. Yeah. Maybe a little bit easier to get into that world mm-hmm. for some people. Yeah. Cause it'd be kind of intimidating. I feel like maybe to walk into an AA meeting for the first time. For sure. To, to end our conversation, 
would love to have you say like, you know, what are you working on now? How can people find you? How can people find your film that's you've just finished yeah, working tell on? Tell us the name. So, and, like, yeah, tell us we all want to watch. <laughs> My feature, A Desperate Road, um, is out on to be free to watch, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll check it yeah. out. And uh, it's also on Amazon Prime, I think, in the U.S. Uh, it's on Apple TV as well. We're working on um, building our uh, our website, so I will soon have you know um, all my stuff on there. My my husband and I just uh, about a year or so ago uh, started a sound business as well. So we do sound design. Um, so we're trying to sort of yeah amalgamate some web uh, a website together to have everything. And what's there, your so. what's your sound company with your husband? What's it called? It's uh, Motion Beach Film and Sound. Very cool. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming to speak with us and to, you know, imparting your wisdom on us. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you. I was really glad that you met Jenny because you met Jenny as part of the Banff um, Spark program that you did, the Accelerator program. And I was really glad that you met her and that we were able to have this conversation because I think alcoholism specifically in our family, it's specifically such a big thing in our family. And I know for myself, I was, I talk about this often. I talk about the secrets of our family that we don't talk about, the specifically the alcoholism, and then how I was always afraid for the other shoe to drop that if like, what is too much, am I going to become an alcoholic? And, you know, for me, it took a long time to understand that alcohol would um, allow my impulsivity to come out more. Mm-hmm. So then I was doing things that weren't safe for myself in a lot of capacities. Mm-hmm. And though I was never an alcoholic and I went back and forth with not drinking at all for a large extents of time. And now I haven't drank any alcohol for in January, it'll be five years. I realized it just didn't serve me, it was not allowing me to pursue what I wanted to pursue. I realized like I never needed alcohol <laughs> Like in the way some people use alcohol socially to like for lubrication, I never needed that. So I did have that, the question a lot about is alcohol service, servicing me in the right way? Is this the life I want to lead? Knowing and thankfully, you know, not, it not being a issue because of addiction, but I knew that I was sometimes using it in capacities that weren't always the best yeah. or, or wasn't bringing the best out of me. Yeah. Um, I was fun but did some stupid (laughs) shit, (laughs) like real stupid shit. Well, and like I, as obviously as your sister watched you navigate this, you know, on and off again, sort of relationship with alcohol. And, and there was a few times in my life where I had stopped drinking typically after a very traumatic moment of consuming too much and blacking out. And so this, I mentioned earlier in the interview that like during COVID, my alcohol consumption went way up Mm -hmm. and I noticed how, it was impacting my mood and like I, my anxiety and my, de- and like feeling depressed and stuff just, just heightened. And I decided I need to, I need to investigate my relationship with alcohol. And for me, I read this book called this naked mind and it sort of explained the science of what alcohol does to your brain. And like, mm-hmm. and a lot of the things I was experiencing and, and living with the guilt of things that had happened when I drank and the waking up at three in the morning after having a night of drinking and feeling like, why am I doing this to myself and saying, I'm not mm-hmm. going to do this again. And then, you know, doing it again. And so this book kind of, I felt very seen reading it because I had experienced all these things that this woman, Annie Grace was talking about. And so in this book, she said, you're going to stop drinking after you read this book. And I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But then 
I did. And I, but I was already curious about investigating a sober life. So, um, same thing that you kind of went through. Like I was very in lots of unsafe situations because I was drinking and I definitely drank to the extent of being blacked out. I drank to, uh, self-medicate before I started investigating my mental health. And so I definitely had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So I am proud to say, as you have five years sober in January, I just passed my one year sober in August. So, or alcohol free, whatever you want to call it. It's felt really good to just like not be thinking about alcohol anymore. (laughs) It's interesting. I was going to say it's interesting about the word choices that we use because often sober is put in this idea of like, people who feel like they are alcoholics or they're using substance abuse in a way of like what would be termed at one point was termed an addict. It doesn't matter how we get there, whether it is something that I think that everyone has their own struggles and their own reasons why or their need to do so or that it could damage their life. Like I've seen alcohol damage a lot of people's lives. And so, yeah, it's weird because I said, oh yeah, I'm sober. And someone was like, well, but you're not an alcoholic. And I'm like, that's true. I guess, you know, alcohol-free, but I'm still I'm sober. I don't drink alcohol. Yeah, you don't consume any substance. No, I don't. I never had because I was always afraid, afraid that I'd get addicted. Yeah. But yeah. it's totally like with someone who has ADHD and you have these compulsions, like you do like fixate on things. I never wanted to fixate. I, I was always scared if I ever tried drugs that I would fixate on them. That really just always was in my mind. And I'm like, I can't go down that path. And so I made that deliberate choice. Yeah. Jenny has actually provided us with a lot of additional information that goes well beyond the podcast because, I mean, there's no way to cover everything. So I'm going to drop that all into the webpage. So please check out our website, brainspodcast.com. It'll be under addiction and substance use. You'll see the episode in the episode notes. I'm going to add in all the things. It will be long and glorious and hopefully helpful. Yeah. And I just want to quickly say too, um, so Jenny, as Heather mentioned, was part of the Spark program that I was in. And we have this like WhatsApp chat group uh, with all of the, or a bunch of the mem- a bunch of the group that were in my cohort. And we all call her Nurse Jenny because she like comes on and she's like, hey, everybody, make sure that you take a break. And she's always like checking in on everyone and just like, mm. she's the most loving, wonderful human. And I feel so honored to have gotten to know her and to still have her like in my phone um, messaging every once in a while and spreading love and yeah it's just she's a lovely lovely human so thank you jenny for being awesome thank you jenny i guess it's time to go i guess so mm, i know it's always it's bittersweet always i just want to talk all the time um i want, want to just say say to our audience that's listening just a like thank you so much for being here every week we see the numbers they're not just numbers they are mm. people I know. And it's so like, I I almost cry every time I look at them because <laughs> like those people are taking time to listen to us. Yeah. And reaching out and we're both misty eyed right now. <laughs> uh, always misty eyed. We have to cry at some point every episode. Yeah. Um, but I did want to say if there are subjects that you want us to talk about, we definitely want to be able to give you things that you want to hear about. So just let us know. Anyway, so thank you for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother, Duffish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram or Twitter at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-Triple-A-I-N-S Podcast. 
You can go to our website at brainspodcast.com where you can contact us, subscribe, and find a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm your host, Heather.